listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about e-commerce and online buying trends and how they're impacting the sales professional and people in general. It's a big shift, especially uh, for retailers, have to combat online commerce. And to help us do this, we have with us Chloe Thomas, author, speaker, founder of e-commerce Master Plan. Chloe, thank you for taking time to be on the show today. Hi, Chad. It's, it's excellent to be here, and I'm really looking forward to having a chat with you. So as we were preparing for the show today, you mentioned how the new breed of B2B buyers want to be able to buy online, which may be a shift for some people, right? B2C, everybody's used to that, right? But in B2B, mm-hmm. that inclination, I think, you, I think you called it the millennial effect. Um, yep. <laughs> and, and you know, I can see how this makes sense, again, in transactional sales, uh, even in B2B space. But help, help us understand how this is affecting larger, more complex complex buyers and sellers. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it, you say, you know, in the consumer world, we're used to buying online. Well, that's exactly what's causing this effect in businesses. You know, you think about the new graduate or the graduate kind of seven, eight years into their, into their working life now, and they're at a business where they're in charge of purchasing or a large part of their job is purchasing, and they're having to fax an order through, <laughs> you know? It's like, that just doesn't make any sense at all. It's so inefficient. And it's, but, it, but if you've grown up in the B2B purchasing space, you know, as a company buying, buying things from other companies, it, you, you're kind of used to the norm. But I think now the, the, the the why this would be if I was buying this product at home it would be so much easier than I have when when I'm buying it in the office why can't we make that simpler and I think that's that's the effect which is coming into to all businesses and all sectors these days and you can tell how much of an opportunity it is by quite how much Amazon are doing with their Amazon business accounts these days they've they've spotted this opportunity too and and um and I think. Once Amazon jumps into something, you know you've got to start paying attention to it. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. When we when we work with clients, I always ask at the beginning of every workshop, you know, who in here has an Amazon Prime account? And we do. I mean, primarily B two B. And so everybody raises their hand, or almost everybody, right? And then you start to talk about why, and it leads into that conversation that you know it's it's funny sales reps that are in B two B don't think about the fact that these B2B buyers are living B2C lives. So their expectations yeah. are being crafted by the ability to go on Amazon, get whatever you want within you know, 24, 48 hours, uh, seamless, easy, frictionless, right? And now those B2B buyers are expecting that. And it changes the game. It changes the game in how companies uh, make themselves available uh, and how you know, B2B buyers want to be interacted with from salespeople. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's reached the point in the UK, and I, I would assume this is the same stateside as well, in that now some companies are, when they're tendering to find new suppliers, you know, there's big contracts and all the rest of it, they are not interested in signing up that person as a, that company as a supplier if they don't have an online ordering system. That is part of the tender requirements, which... You know, has, which has caused something of a land, you know, kind of a, a rush to the to the website builders. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, we can't lose, you know, or retendering, and a client goes, oh, by the way, we need you to be e-commerce. Whoa. Um, so I think there's there's definitely for for the listeners out there who haven't yet 
embraced online selling as part of their business i think it's time it's time to you you want to do it in your own time you don't want to be forced to do it by your biggest customer turning around and going oh you know that contract negotiation was six six months through <laughs> uh and the the, the the signing date is two weeks away did you notice that we needed you to be e-commerce um yeah it's 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 something you want to get ahead of well, yeah, and you definitely I mean, definitely want to be proactive instead of reactive, right? If you're reactive, you're not going to have the time to think about it. How is it going to impact your organization as a whole? How do you change the way that the sellers are selling or marketers are marketing? How you know It's not just as simple as throwing up an, an online portal and say, okay, you, you can buy stuff online, right? There's, there's a lot of ramifications, uh, and I think a lot of people, companies in general, have a tendency to look at something like e-commerce and think, ah, it's a bolt-on. Right. I just, I have to do it. So I'll throw something up. Well, it's, yeah, you can do that. I mean, we've all seen companies that do it, but you know what? We're not talking about them. We're talking about the companies that think about it proactively like Amazon, right? The ones that are being strategic about it, understand that moves like this can affect, you know, the entire organization. Well, that's the thing. If you, you can just throw up a website for probably about 20% of the effort than it's going to take you to do it properly. And that's a, that's a massive difference in an amount of effort. But the problem is, if you just throw it up, you're going to cause problems because it won't be integrated to your systems. So the second someone actually uses it, you've got problems. And if you just chuck it up there, you've probably not built it the way the customers need it to work or the way the sales team need it to work. And the thing is, the sales team, whether they're based in the office, you know, dealing with phone calls or whether they're out on the road, they have got to be bought in to the online sales opportunity or it's never going to work because getting the customer to adopt online ordering is going to become a crucial part of your sales team's job. So you have to bring the whole company along in the journey if it's going to work. When's the last time you shopped at a mall? How will we do our holiday shopping or even buy toilet paper in 10 years? Listen for Shopcast, talking retail strategy. We'll explore the massive changes happening in retail. Join retail expert Michael Dark and his guests who help you understand these dramatic shifts and predict what the retail landscape of tomorrow will look like. If you're interested in the future of retail, tune in on Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. How many companies have we both worked with where you watch the change, change initiatives, and I'm doing the air quotes, right? That they, oh, we're gonna we're gonna make some changes and we're gonna transform, right? Everybody talks about digital transformation, and then you come back six months later, like, wow, how did that go? Um, yeah, well, I never really there's, got finished. <laughs> there's a nice new poster on the wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we've all got some new mouse mats. But other than that, nothing really happened. Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny, though, because the, I, I see this a lot, right? You see people, you know, there's this, all right, we're in a digital landscape. We're, the world is digital now. Um, and people focus on that, but they get so sometimes focused on, okay, I need to do this digital portion that they forget about uh, the human component. Like, how do I make this work inside of you know, an organization or with people? How do, they, how do I get them to interact in a way that's going to drive greater growth? greater return, greater value for not only my internal organization, but of course the customers that I'm interacting with. It's not a simple, uh, it's not as simple as many people I think want it to be. No, and, and it's the, the good thing for that, I think, for the B2B world is that you can learn from what happened in the B2C world. Because in the consumer world 15 years ago, um, the biggest problem for multi-channel retailers, you know, for the high street retailer was that they were embracing online, but not bringing their store teams along with them. 
and they had exactly the same problems with, uh, you know, bonus allocations and sales targets and you're cannibalizing my sales and all the rest of it. <laughs> and which is exactly the same as the B2B world is going through now um, as they bring websites on, you know, commerce websites online. So you, the way the, the retail world solved it was by making it a whole company objective, a whole company rollout, not just the marketing team or the IT team or the finance team, whichever one ended up driving it. But it has to be everybody involved from the point where you make the decision to do it through to delivery and the rest of it. It's um, challenging. Well, and that holistic approach is one that I think, you know, especially as organizations get larger, becomes uh, it's sometimes more difficult, right? Because you've got, it's not just like, all right, I'm going to put up e-commerce and I got to get the marketing teams aligned in IT. Now I've got cybersecurity issues. I've got GDPR, you know, I've got mm-hmm. data compliance issues. It's, it, there is no uh, simple and fast answer. I mean, you can do it simple and fast. But that you know, when we do the podcast on companies that failed, you'll probably be on that list. You know, if you need to, if you need to really think strategically about it, you need to be thinking about that whole. And with the retailers, it was always, it always struck me as funny. In the U.S., we had uh, it was a company called Dick Sporting Goods, and they had these awesome stores. But then, if I you know I was in the store, I don't have time to get this right now. I'll just go order it online. It was never, they never had the same stuff online. It was like, it was like working with a completely different company. And then when I dug into <laughs> it, I found out it actually was a completely different company. They'd outsourced their entire online buying experience. So it was like, well, just call it something else. Don't, cause you're fracturing yeah. that experience for me. Exactly. And I, I, I like the fact you say, you know, once you're online, you have to worry about things like GDPR and fraud and payment gateways. It's like, well, actually, I think the online world just kind of brings those into sharper relief. Because actually, as a, I deal with a lot of online-only businesses. I also deal with businesses that have big call centers and physical stores. And trust me, it's considerably easier to be GDPR compliant and you know payment processing compliant and all the rest of it if you are online-only. Because everything happens in systems. Whereas if you've got people on the ground dealing with orders and data, you've got a whole load of additional risk. Which, which exists, but people don't think about it until you get into online and then suddenly we start thinking about everything that could go wrong. So it's, um, yeah, it's like GDPR and PCI DSS, they still exist, but <laughs> we don't think about them in the offline world, despite the fact they're far riskier in the offline world. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody's used to hearing about, you know, the Experian data breaches or Target or, or you know, all this Facebook stuff. And I'll tell you the one time that I had my credit card uh, stolen, it was because it was I was in a restaurant and somebody copied the card in the back. It had nothing to do with being online and booking my reservation or, you know, I'd say, hey, it's an anniversary or whatever I want. Special. It would, none of that. I just handed my card to somebody and they ran it and apparently ran it through another scanner as well. And the next thing I know, I'm getting calls from American Express. Hey, did you order, you know, 400 pounds mm-hmm. of, of bison meat? I'm like, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like... Um, uh, a friend of mine used to work for a company who had a kind of like a workshop sales outlet where the workshop guys would often be the only ones there. So they'd take customer orders over the phone as well. And about every couple of months, my friend who visited there occasionally would have to shred the little book in which they kept everybody's credit card number because it made it easier for the customer. And like, it didn't matter how many times they were told you cannot do this. 
<laughs> they had the whole thing, you know, this, this the code on the back, the dates, everything next to all the customers. Go, just just in a, in a notepad sitting on top of the desk. So like, you can't do this, guys. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm taking us on a big old tangent. There, oh, guys. no, no. That's I mean, that's great. It's like, you know, it's funny when we when we talk about that, that merging of of digital and physical or digital and human experience. Um, you know, I hadn't honestly until you brought it up. I hadn't because I deal mostly with companies that are all systems based. They, they may not have brick and mortar locations. Um, but when you think about that, that is a huge gap in data, you know, in protecting the data. And you're also, when you're doing e-commerce, there has to be a level of trust. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when, uh, you know, I said something to my mom, like, no, mom, just put your credit card in and they'll ship it to you. She's like, I'm not giving them my credit card number. I'm not doing that. Well, we've gotten a little bit better, right? Everybody kind of, I think we've kind of gotten over that hurdle, but there's still a trust that has to take place in that brand experience, in that sales uh, transaction. There's a level of trust that has to be there. And, and G, I mean, GDPR is making it not so much more a, hey, I trust you. It's like you need to do this, right? Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, if, if people aren't going to trust the company uh, you know, and the way that they're going to interact with them, then it, it creates friction and they'll just go somewhere where it's easier. Exactly. And I, I think that's, I mean, we mentioned that there's a lot that uh, in terms of bringing the team along that the B2B world can learn from the B2C world when it comes to e-commerce. But I think one of the things which has become difficult, more difficult over the last 15 years, and your, your Dick Sporting Goods example kind of illustrates this, is that back 15 years ago, you could put up a website and the customer had low expectations of what the experience <laughs> would be like. Yeah. And nowadays... That experience has to be as good as your experience in any other channel. Otherwise, you are detrimentally affecting your primary channel. So you can't, well, you can say this is a beta. We've only put such and such stock lines up there. But that beta has to work. You know, you, you can kind of do it as a phased approach. But, it, but anything you put live has to work and has to work well and has to meet all the expectations of, of service that people know of generally for online, but also what they understand in terms of their rela existing relationship with your business. So it's got a lot harder over the last 15 years, but the, the tech is a lot more available to make it easier, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think it's even gotten to the point where I think maybe we've gotten to a point where the tech the promise of the tech made it easier. And then and we saw all those investments in customer experience, right? You know, Apple with the iTunes stuff and all of the applications. There's one actually out of the UK, Glassbox Digital, that watches you, you know, watches you how you interact with the web page. So they can they can fix and tweak the user experience and the design and things like that. And I think we've gotten to a point where the tech has gotten uh, so much better, but there's so much more of it that even making those decisions on, you know, hey, I need to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, or this is what my tech stack should look like, um, it becomes even more difficult for them to keep that overall experience in mind as they're doing it, because there are so many technical considerations. And, and I think the tech can be a big old distraction as well. I think it's very easy to get sucked into a complex piece of tech to try and solve a problem, which actually was the fact that the first, you know, the big line, the big text information on the front page of your homepage, when someone lands on the website, just didn't explain what you do, you know? <laughs> right. It's... Um, I was it was at a conference where they were doing a lot of growth hacking sessions um, late last year, and it was a real pleasure to see one of the world authorities on growth hacking talk about how getting the wording right on the first view of your homepage is one of the most important things you can do to growth hack your website. It's like, <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Someone's talking about some sense, not 
I mean, you know, there are plenty of exciting, cool little tools you can use, but it was also just, ah. Oh, well, yes. and the tech has a tendency, I think sometimes, I mean, I think the distraction aspect is spot on, right? Because mm. you, you, we see it, especially in sales, uh, as the millennials come up, we see people hiding behind the tech. They think, oh, well, I had a chat bot that talked to them on my website that drove them to my, you know, product page, which then took them to the cart. And I don't need to talk to them. Or if I'm trying to prospect somebody, maybe I'll just go to LinkedIn. I'll shoot them an email. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll shoot them a text, but they're looking at it in in a way that continues to increase the divide from that human to human interaction. And at the end of the day, that's what gets stuff done is that human to human interaction. And I think people have a tendency to look at that tech and go, ah, this is going to solve all my problems. Well, you know what? We really should be looking at the same fundamentals that have been in play because people are still people. Oh, so true. One of, uh, one of my past podcast guest is a guy who runs a b2b site that's called ramp t-shirts as in you know you drive your car up the ramp and um their aim from day one was to create the world's fastest t-shirt ordering website so you go you know if you need uh, t-shirts for everyone to give away to your customers or to give away at your conference or for your sales team to wear they're the site to go to to get your 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 t-shirts ordered they've gone to the point of building an algorithm that will predict the sizing mix you use you know it's it's all about speed going through the website they have conversion rate optimized it to the absolute nth degree however that's awesome (laughs) it's it's very cool however 80 percent of their orders are placed by people who've had some level of human interaction before they hit the buy button Oh, wow. That's four in every five have live chatted, sent in an email or done something to talk to their team before they place the order. And this is a website which has been taken to the nth degree of you don't need to speak to us. (laughs) And yet you're still speaking to us. (laughs) Exactly. Which is why, you know, the the sales team are remain hugely important, even in the online world, because it's still in the B2B space, huge amounts of of it is still about that personal relationship and that reassurance and that, um, that guidance through the process. Yeah. And there's always, I mean, there's that aspect of the online, especially in e-commerce with self-service. And I do this all the time. And we use a a company called Mimeo to print our uh, workbooks, our journals, you know, things like that. And and it's on demand, which is great. And it is kind of set up. So I never have to talk to them, but what do I do every time I place an order? I call Derek because I need Derek to double check, Derek, double check this because I'm not a hundred percent sure that I got it right. And I don't have time to screw it up. So, Hey, you got any ideas on how I could do this, that, or the other? I mean, it was set up. So I never have to talk to anybody, but I don't hit the buy button for, you know, $1,000, $10,000 worth of workbooks until I've talked to somebody. It just makes me feel better. Yeah. So true. And so when we look at the e-commerce stuff, there's that aspect of self-service, right? And you mentioned mm-hmm. this as we were prepping for this. So, um, so they bought something, right? They went through the, the buying process. Now that now they're quote unquote, a customer. How do you see that self-service aspect impacting sales and, and marketing professionals? I suppose you've got to see it as a as a benefit. You how you have to see it as a benefit. But it means that you now are able to let the customer get on with, you know, the normal stuff and then give them the value add. And that might mean um, 
you know, when you know, you know, the, you can set the systems up so it'll automatically alert you if the if they haven't placed the order they usually place each week. It means your conversations with them can be less about getting an order and more about have you seen this? This might be good for you. There's an offer on this week. So you're kind of bringing the value adds to that relationship rather than just phoning them up to get the order or dealing with the order when they when they phone in. So it's it's great they can do the self service because it means the menial is not quite the right word, but it's the only word I can think of right now. So I can roll with it. Uh, the more the more menial tasks the customer can do themselves, which means you can put your effort into value adding in that relationship. It also means because of that kind of dynamic of your time is spent on more valuable things and they're doing the, the kind of like the, the menial bits is maybe now this opens up your business to a group of smaller customers that you could previously afford to service because they're able to, you're able to just leave them to get on with it on the website. And likewise, it gives your gives you as a sales or a marketing professional more time to go out and recruit new customers and bigger customers because you've got the time to do that because you're not spending it getting the regular order out of XYZ existing customer. Well, so, so then it would allows for optimization not only of the customer's experience but also of the ROI per hour for that sales investment that that company's making because they're not focused on the little stuff; they're focused on the expansion, upsell, things like that. Yeah, so it, it's you ha- you have to kind of like identify the benefits. Yes, you're going to be doing less of what you do now, but that's good because it means you can do more <laughs> of the things that generate more money, generate more bonus, generate all the things you want. Yeah. So when you work with clients to help them maximize their e-commerce, are there common challenges that you're seeing them run into these days? Oh, yeah. The number <laughs> one, the number one challenge is what should I be doing? Actually. That's the number one thing I help people out with is, Chloe, I'm doing this. Should I be doing it? I'm, I want to send more emails. Is it okay to send more emails? I think I might need a welcome campaign. Do I? I've done this. Should I have? Uh, I've done this. It's not working. What should I do? Uh, it, it's all. There's so many options these days. The most challenging problem is working out what to do to generate the sales. And the most successful businesses I see in the B2B space and in the B2C space are those who have identified the marketing method or two methods that work well for them and just doubled down and doubled down and optimized and squeezed every last cent and dollar and order out of that that they can. So excellent. Yeah. And so can you, can you share a story or an example? I mean, you talked about the ramp t-shirts guys, but where one of your clients, you know, you help them make these shifts that you help them wrestle the e-commerce dragon, so to speak. And you know, what kind of impact or success have they seen people that are now maybe converts to, to the understanding how e-commerce can benefit them? Oh man, that's a tricky one. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a client where I'm allowed to tell you what right. they've done. Uh, <laughs> I could tell you about a podcast guest who's who's uh, that works. doubled down, if that's okay. So yeah. this is not someone I've worked with, everybody out there, but this is the sort of thing I help people do, um, just to be clear. Uh, so this is a company called Flare Audio, who are in the UK selling globally. They've reinvented um, loudspeakers, and they're slowly taking their technology around uh, earphones for the consumers. So they've gone from big loudspeakers for events to earphones you can have. And their earphones sell from 50 quid a pair to, I think, £800 for in-ear in earphones. 
Yeah, crazy, eh? Um, <laughs> so they come up with this amazing technology, and they are beautiful. They are super powerful, and they are they have got some of the most amazing testimonials on their website from awesome people in the music industry. And they have they've just gone for it with Facebook, and they did 5.9 million last year pounds that is in uh, in turnover, which was a 250 percent growth rate on the previous year almost entirely driven by Facebook advertising. Wow. Wow. It's a good example, isn't that it? Is, that's a great one. That's a great one. And so do they, have they figured out the, um, the you know, the, uh, the how do you align the e-commerce and the online por- portion with the sales? Have they also looked at that or did they just completely focus on the digital side with the advertising and, and driving the e-commerce? They've just gone for the digital side. Although saying that, a, they do have a number of stockists and they also sell via Amazon. So they do a proportion of their spend on Facebook is also just pure brand advertising to support their stockists, so their business customers, and to um, to support their own sales on Amazon. So they have a bit of a two-pronged attack. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So let's change direction a little bit. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. And the first is simply, uh, as a revenue executive yourself, you're running a company, you, you know, <laughs> you, that makes you a quote unquote prospect for most salespeople or a target yep. if we're being blunt. Um, and so I'm curious, um, it's, it's a big topic in sales is, you know, how do you get the attention of somebody you don't know? So I'm curious when somebody wants to approach you with a potential solution or something that they think uh, would be valuable for you, what's the best way for them to capture your attention and build credibility? Oh, I have such a love hate relationship with salespeople. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> if they get me in the right way at the right time with the right thing, I love them. Um, otherwise, no. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Timing but is isn't everything. that just. Uh, but, but as a salesperson myself, I know that that's the game, isn't it? Um, so my advice would be okay, I am, I'm very much an introvert. So I, I hate phone calls with uh, uh, passion. Um, and I like people to give me details and give me fast. So those those intriguing emails that some people send that are like, hey, Chloe, I've got something really interesting. It'll totally change your world. I just spam. That's <laughs> uh, not getting anywhere. But if you send me an email which proves you've done a little bit of research and which shows that this might be of relevance to me, you know, we do this. Well, actually, tell me what you do, because quite often people don't tell me what they do. Right. Tell me what you do. Tell me how you think it might help me and show you have some understanding of what I do. Then I will almost certainly get back to you, like 99% I will get back to you. And I will probably either say, let's have a chat, or that's a Q, That's not till Q3 for me, or that's not till Q4, get back in contact with me. If you give me the details, I can prioritize it and save you time and save me time. Um Unfortunately, because I have the word e-commerce in my business name, I get a lot, a lot of messages from people who think I'm an e-commerce business, Yeah, which is kind of crazy. We've got this great tool for checking fraud on your Shopify account. I don't have a Shopify account, <laughs> and fraud's not a problem for me, but you just keep sending me those emails. So. Yeah. Sorry, rant over. Oh uh, no, 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 that's great. I mean, it's it's great, right? You got to do your homework, and you got to be respectful. Get right to the point, right? And and it's it's a common theme, right? We interviewed uh, 
the CTO of the Minnesota Vikings, a big NFL football team. And, and he said, look, you know, I, people want to work with the NFL. They want to work with us. And he goes, guess what? I will pick up the phone. He's like, but if I pick up the phone and you ask me what my email address is, rather than saying, hey, I have your email address as let me confirm it, or you don't know my name, I'm hanging up on you. <laughs> it's like, be respectful, do your homework, get straight to the point, realize it's an interruption and, and you've, you've got to provide value and insight. Uh, and I like the, you know, some people like phone calls, some people don't. Uh, so, you know, knowing that, I think, you know, figuring that out is, is probably an important play too. All right. So, so last true. question, we call it okay. our acceleration insight. Ooh, cute little marketing term. Uh, if there's one thing that you could tell sales, marketing, professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, which is always the caveat, <laughs> if they listened, you believe would give them uh, a, a leg up on hitting their targets and being successful, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a tricky one. I'm torn between two. Um, so I'm going to go with the one that I love the most, which is um, kind of color coding your diary and ring fencing time. So as I know from from doing sales for my business, which I've been doing, I've been doing, doing sales myself for probably about 10 years now, you can, it, you've got that balancing act between fresh leads, hot prospects, contracts you're tracing, you know, those different levels and all are equally important if you're going to continue hitting your sales targets week after week, day after day, month after month. So if you can create some kind of zoning in your diary of, right, Monday morning, I'm going to spend dealing with contracts that are pending being signed. And then Tuesdays, I will spend working on new proposals. Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I can then deal with whatever's most urgent going on and lead gen. But I think if you color code, then you can kind of avoid the day running away with itself. And you can make sure that those all important tasks, which aren't kind of like vying for your attention still get done. So that would be my advice. Perfect. Time blocking is a big one. And it's funny to me that more people don't do it, especially as we get mm -hmm. more and more uh, busy and there's more and more demands for our attention. Uh, it is definitely a, a best practice. So I appreciate you highlighting that one. So, all right, Chloe, if, if a listener's interested in learning more about e-commerce master plan um, or actually, wait, let me back up a second. Give me the name of the podcast so we can get some of our listeners to tune into what you're doing. Yeah, sure. It's the e-commerce master plan podcast. Perfect. Okay. And we'll, so out there, everybody listen, check out that podcast. What's the easiest way to get in touch with you? Um, if somebody would wanted to explore kind of what you're doing and see what else, what else you're offering out there? Sure. Well, you can find details of everything I'm up to at ecommercemasterplan.com. And you'll be able to, there's a contact page there, which gives you details of how to get in contact with me. Um, I'm also pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. So feel free to get in contact with me and connect there too. And I have a lot of things we've been talking about today are covered in my recent book, which is called B2B e-commerce master plan that's available in all the formats on the big old Amazon platform as well. <laughs> Excellent. Chloe, I can't thank you enough for taking time today. It's been great having you on the show. No, thanks, Chad. I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. It's been a pleasure. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Check us out on b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, families, coworkers. Sing it from the mountaintops. Write us a review. Let us know who else you'd like to have on the show. And until next time, we have Value Prime Solutions. Wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.